The book of Titus follows 1 and 2 Timothy. If you're in Bible drill, one thing you learn is that all the T's in the New Testament are together. So it's 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Now, I don't think they grouped them together because they all started with T. They grouped them together because they're called the pastoral epistles. These are Paul's letters to two men that he called his sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus. Paul had won them to the Lord, and he was their spiritual father. And they were coming up after him. They were following in his footsteps as being a church planter and a church leader. And he was writing them instructions in First and Second Timothy and in Titus. He's giving them guidelines for how the church is to function. Paul had been there after he was imprisoned for the first time by the Romans. So when Acts ends, sometime after Acts ends, Paul goes to Crete. And he and Timothy are working there in Crete, planting churches. Paul leaves, but he has, uh, excuse me, Titus, he has... Uh, Paul, Paul and Titus were on Crete, not Timothy. Uh, Paul and Titus were le- uh, there on Crete. Paul leaves. Titus is left there by Paul to organize churches and to appoint leaders in the churches. So scholars believe this letter was written sometime in the 60s of the first century. And today we're going to just begin, and we'll talk more about the, uh, the setting and things like that as we go through of the book, but today I want to focus on the first four verses of this letter, which is really a long salutation. It's the opening of the letter, a salutation back in these days. We still, we still have salutations in letters. We say, dear so-and-so, but the salutations in these ancient letters are much longer. The salutation is the opening of the letter that tells who's writing the letter and who is receiving the letter. So as we look at the salutation, as we just look at the very beginning of this letter, I want us to answer the question, what does it mean to trust God? Are you trusting God today? Are you trusting in the Lord today? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, this sermon is broken into three sections. Uh, verse one, uh, and, so I'm going to say verse 1a and verse 1b. Whenever you hear people say verse 1a or verse 1b, they're just saying 1a is the first part of the verse and 1b is the second part. It's not in your Bible that way. But the first part of verse 1 or 1a is trusting by following and leading. Verse 1b, the second part of verse 1, trusting by knowing and doing. And then verses 2 through 4, we'll look at trusting in certainty, and in our calling to follow Christ. So let's look at verse 1, following and leading. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is identifying himself. He's identifying himself here in two ways. He says, I'm a servant of God. Now that Greek word is doulos, that means slave. Paul says, I'm a slave of God. Now, that's also, when you use that particular word, what you're saying is you're not just a servant. You're not just an indentured servant. You're the lowest kind of slave that there is. So Paul comes in and says, I'm the lowest slave, but I'm also an apostle. And the word apostle means messenger. He's a messenger. He has a message. He has authority to give this message to people on behalf of God. So on one hand, he's, very low. he's saying, I'm very low here in the kingdom. I'm, I'm a slave of God, but I have a very high calling as an apostle to give you God's words and to, to teach you what God's message is, what God would have you to know. So I'm a servant and I'm an apostle. And I just want to say that 
that, uh, that, that I, I like the way that starts off because I think it gives us a good idea of maybe the character of a, of a Christian. Is on one hand, when we, when we meet people, when we serve people, we never want to put ourselves above anybody, do we? We always want to come into the relationship and say, I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. We should not be self-serving or about ourselves. And so on one hand, we're, we could say, yes, I'm, I'm, I want to come in here and sit at the, 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 the seat of dishonor. I don't want to claim the high place or, or sit at the head table. And, and we know all of those ideas about how we should act in humility. But also, on the other hand, we also have a high calling. We, we are ones that have been entrusted with the very things as Paul was. We've been entrusted with God's words also. Now, we don't, we're not apostles, but whenever we can tell someone the, the Scripture, when we can relate to somebody the, these words of the apostles, which carried the authority and weight of God's Word, then we're also coming in that same authority. I can stand up here today. I'm not better than you. You know, we're all the same here, right? Uh, and, and I'm here to serve you uh, as, as the pastor. But on the other hand, when we stand in the pulpit and we preach God's Word, we're, 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 we're proclaiming authoritatively how God would have us to live. And I'm not telling you to listen to me for the sake of listening to Chad, but I'm saying, please hear the words of God. And so Paul kind of has this idea. He's, he's introducing himself. Now, he, he already knows Titus, but he understands Titus is not the only person that's going to read this letter. Titus is going to turn around and say, okay, y'all, listen up. We've got a letter from the Apostle Paul. And we're going to read this. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm here to serve you, but also I have a high calling as an apostle. Paul is following and leading here. He's saying, I am a follower of God. I'm a low slave. I'm the ultimate servant, the ultimate follower. But I'm also a leader and an authority in the church. As believers, we are all called to follow and to lead. No one can lead themselves their family, or their church in a way that pleases God unless they are trusting in Him by following Christ in obedience and submission to His will. That's your calling. You're called to be a leader. You're called to lead yourself. I mean, people say, well, I'm not a leader of anybody. Everybody's supposed to have self-control, right? So we're all at least leading ourselves. Some lead groups of three, some lead groups of ten, some lead larger groups. You might lead people at work. You might lead a Sunday school class. We're all called to lead in some way, but we're only the leaders that we need to be if we're first followers of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the home, the best leaders are the best followers of Christ. When it comes to the church, the best leaders are the best followers of Christ. And here Paul describes himself first as a follower, then as a leader. Trusting in God is following with all you have. I'm a low slave. And leading where you're appointed based on the authority of God's Word. Paul says he's an apostle. So we trust in God by taking up those responsibilities. To follow and then to lead. Number two, second part of verse one, knowing and doing. Paul says, I'm a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul says, I am a slave to God. I'm a, an apostle of the church for the sake of God's chosen. And I know that word elect always uh, causes people to freak out a little bit. Um, 
And people believe different things about election. Some people say God elected a category. He elected all the people who would believe. And some people teach that God elected individuals before the beginning of time. I think the plainest reading of those passages is that God chose individuals that He would have mercy on. But I also know and read there are certain places in the Bible where the Bible clearly teaches us that we're responsible for what we do, that we have a will, a free will, and God desires that all people should repent and come to saving faith. And so somehow God has a free will, and we have a free will. And I think I've taught you consistently here for ten years that God has ways that are beyond our ways. God has thoughts that are beyond our thoughts. We can't fully comprehend how God does all of this. How He can have His choice and we can have our choice. We can't fully comprehend how those things work together. But we do need to trust. Part of trusting God is to trust is that however He brings the elect to saving faith is the right way. So Paul here is contending for God's chosen people he's contending for the elect and he's contending for the the knowledge that they will have he's teaching them and that knowledge that he's giving him the teaching and the word of god that he's giving them should he says accord with godliness i'll tell you one place where godliness and puffed up knowledge really uh don't go together or maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, they don't go together at all. There's no godliness on Twitter. Have you all ever read Twitter? Is anybody on Twitter? Do you look at it? Okay, Bethany looks at Twitter. Well, good for you, Bethany. Uh, <laughs> she's like, I don't go there if you're about to say something bad about it. <laughs> I look at Twitter. Twitter's an interesting social media platform. Uh, I'm one of those people that just usually looks and never tweets. I just kind of read what people are saying. And it's a place where there are so many pastors on Twitter. So many Christians. There's, there's, even they call it like the, Christ, the Christian Twitterverse. And if you get into that Christian Twitterverse, you will become sorely depressed. Because those Christians are mean as snakes. And they just attack each other and argue in all these places. And you say, they've got great knowledge of the Bible. These are guys with PhDs and seminary professors and all this. And yet their knowledge... And all their learning and all their so-called wisdom, it doesn't result in their godliness as they speak and communicate with one another. But I wonder if we're like that sometimes too. You might not be tweeting, but you're out there living, right? Kind of what we talked about in Sunday school. What happens when you have a life that contradicts what you believe is true? So you're coming in here, and boy, I, I could get you to say, I could start just reading Bible verses and you'd say, amen, 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 amen. We agree with you, Brother Chad. We agree with you. You're you're telling us the truth and we love to hear the truth. But then we walk out of the building and we forget who we are. We forget what we look like. The speech that comes out of our mouth, the attitudes of our heart, contradict what we know is true. Now what happens, what, what goes on when that's happening? When I know something is true, And I'm looking at that and saying, that's God's Word, that's true. And then I look at my life and I say, that's not lining up with this. Well, in education, what we say is that that creates something called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. Like your brain can't line those two things up. So what do people do when what they know is true doesn't line up with the way they're living or want to live? Well, you either have to change the way you live... Or you have to change the truth. Now what does our culture do? Just changes the truth. 
well, we don't like, you know, we're obviously living in a way that, that doesn't, that's contradictory, so let's just change the truth. Here's the problem with that, though. The truth never changes. The truth is the truth. And so what you need to change is your life. And I would say it even more powerfully is to say what the Gospel's promise to you is, is that the Gospel will change your life. The Gospel will change your life to where it will line up with the truth as you yield daily to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Paul says here, our knowledge of God and the things of God should affect how we live our lives day to day. And that is the proof, isn't it? That's the proof in the pudding. If you're a Christian and your life hasn't changed, how do you know you're a Christian? I mean, the greatest evidence to somebody that, they're, that they've been saved, if you really want to be convinced, it's that the stuff you used to love, the sin that you used to love, you hate it now. And even though you keep going back to it, because you think, oh, maybe, that, maybe what used to make me happy will make me happy again. And when you get back over there and you take a big drink of the, out of that water, out of that well that used to give you such satisfaction, it's bitter now. Or the well is empty. And we talked about that last week in Sunday school. The cisterns that hold no water. We realize well, one of the ways that you have assurance to know you're a Christian is that your life has changed. Your desires have changed because your heart is new. Paul says our knowledge of God and the things of God should affect how we live day to day. I said this a few weeks ago in a sermon. I said knowing things about God just means you know more. There have been plenty of people, there's plenty of really smart people right now that work at very prestigious universities that are New Testament scholars and then they're also agnostics or atheists. You can know things about God. Demons know things about God. That just means you know more about God. But when you actually know God, that doesn't result in just more knowledge. It results in a relationship. It results in obedience. It results in conviction and a changed life. So we trust in God by following and by leading, as we're called to follow and lead. And then we, we trust in God not just by knowing the truth about the Lord, but by doing it, by living it out. Then verses 2-4, through four, the third section. Certainty and calling. Certainty and calling. In verses 2 and 3, Paul mentions why he's laboring as a slave and an apostle for the elect. Because of eternal life. That's the message that Paul has. It's a, the message that we carry to people is that you can be forgiven of your sins and you can know eternal life. This eternal life that was promised long ago, Paul says, I have the privilege to proclaim this. Look at verse 2. Paul says, I'm laboring for the elect in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at a proper time manifested in His Word. That just means that He gave the message. Through the preaching, Paul says, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So at the right time, God gave the message. The message has been entrusted to me, and I am proclaiming it because I've been, I've been entrusted with it, and I've been commanded to preach by God our Savior. Now, if you've got a pen or, or a highlighter, I think it's helpful for everyone to underline the second clause in verse 2 in your Bible. What does that say about God? 
What's the encouragement you can take away from that verse? You say, well, we're just looking at the salutation of a letter. This can't be that exciting. There's something huge in here, though. In hope of eternal life, which God underlined this part, who never lies. God never lies. If you walk out of here with one thing, maybe that is a verse underlined in your Bible, dog-ear the page, so you can go back and read it again. Because it comes almost naturally to us as sinners to doubt God's Word and to not trust Him. And ever since there's been Christians, there have been false teachers who've come in and told Christians that even though it looks like God is saying one thing, they'll try to convince you that it means something else. And it goes back farther than that, doesn't it? Ever since you've had the Word of God given to human beings. And think about the very first time God's Word was given to a human being. It was in the garden. And God said, don't eat of this tree, for the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And the enemy came, and he got into the ear of the man, and he said, does God really say that? Can you really trust God? Yes, I can trust God. How do I know? Because God never lies. I got it right there in black and white. (laughs) Did God really say that? If he did, he said it, and he's not lying about it. It's true. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. But I don't get it. I don't get it. How can this be true when it doesn't feel true to me? How can this be true when it feels like this is something that's hurtful or this is something that's mean? How can this be true if it seems so out of step with modern times? No, there's something that can happen when a pilot's flying. And maybe they're flying into a storm or flying into clouds or they're flying at night and they they can't see anything outside the windows of the cockpit. And there's something that can happen to a pilot that's called spatial disorientation. And a very famous incident happened in 1996 to uh, JFK Jr., the the former president's son. And he was flying at night up in the northeast over the ocean And he shouldn't have been flying at night in the dark because he wasn't rated to fly on his instruments alone. And he became disoriented. And then when they did the study of why this plane crashed, this is what they said. He suffered from spatial disorientation in the cockpit. He lost the horizon and the plane crashed into the ocean. And so when a pilot becomes disoriented, What they teach the pilots to do when they teach them to fly by the instruments there in the cockpit is they teach them to trust the instruments, not your instinct. Trust that the instruments are right. Even though your own perception is is telling you that they're not right, they teach them to trust the instruments and fly according to what the instruments are telling you, not by what you feel. Now, that's probably hard to do, isn't it? Now, I'm not a pilot, so I don't know what that would be like, but if I, I can just imagine being in the cockpit and being pretty sure that I'm, that I'm sideways when I'm not. Or, or you can imagine how you could be disoriented 
in that certain way when you can't see the horizon. And you have to look at this instrument and trust that this instrument's telling you something, that where the horizon is when it doesn't feel like that's where the horizon is. Now, now I have a, uh, so I'm not a pilot, but I am a driver. And not only, I'm a, and I'm a pretty bad driver. Uh, so, so Melissa and I go on trips. And I'll have to give Melissa credit too. She's a terrible navigator. Are you going to own that? Okay, she'll own that. You know, she, like, we're, she's got the phone. You know, she, oh, we just missed a turn. We just missed, like, that's, that's what it's like to be on a trip with us. We're just talking and missing turns. Uh, and then we get, to the, we get to the place where I am going to, where I need to turn, and she says, well, the, the GPS says you need to turn right here. And I say, really? And she says, are you really questioning the GPS? <laughs> because you have the worst sense of direction of anyone I know. And our poor kids, how many times have y'all had to hear that conversation of me questioning the GPS and the GPS is telling us the right way to go, but I feel like we need to go left, not right. And Melissa said, do you think this is lying to you or that it has something against you? (laughs) Well, I want you to think of God's word like those instruments or that GPS. We live in disorienting times. Just things we see in the news, things we read, things on the internet, things like that, can be very disorienting. Things people say about Christians can cause us to feel like, oh, 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 oh I said serious, Siri on accident. Uh, I'm on a roll of setting off my watch or somebody's watching during sermons, aren't I? Did I set somebody else's off? I thought I heard Siri over there. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to encounter, you know, these circumstances, just, you know, things people say about us, things we read, but we're also going to encounter life circumstances, things that happen to us that rock us. And when these things happen, you know, bad news, a diagnosis, or whatever it is, and it just pulls the rug out from underneath you and you're wondering, what's my next step? You may question the Lord. You may question His Word. But don't do it. Here's the advice. Fly by the instruments until you see the light. Fly by the instruments until the horizon comes back into view. Why? Verse 2. Because God never lies. God's Word is the only thing that will tell you right from left, up from down. It's the thing that will tell you how to live. It's the only thing that you can have certainty in. You can't trust something that lies to you. If the GPS lied to me half the time, it wouldn't be very good, would it? But it's generally right. I mean, there's even a warning on there that says, don't fully trust in this or you might go off the end of a bridge that's not fully built. But that's not the way God's Word works, is it? It doesn't come with a disclaimer. It, doesn't, it just says, all Scripture's God-breathed. And it's useful. This is what you need. This is sufficient for you. <laughs> For whatever it is that you're going through, this is the GPS. These are the instruments in the cockpit. And when everything is disorienting you and you're not, what, you're not sure what to do and you're scared and, and life is crashing down all around you, look at the instrument. Go to Psalm chapter 25. Read it. Underline things. Then come back in six months and read it again. And see what you underline and see how God's been faithful. 
When you're broken, when you're hurting, when you're not sure, trust the instruments. Paul speaks of certainty in this passage. He was referring to the truth of the gospel message that's been entrusted to him, that he's been tasked to proclaim throughout the word, the world. What is this message? What is this word that's mentioned uh, in verse 3? At the proper time, manifested in his word, his message, through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. What is he talking about here? He says, I'm laboring as a slave. I'm laboring as an apostle. I'm laboring for the sake of the elect. That doesn't seem to have much sand left in it. It needs to at least let me preach the gospel here though, right? (laughs) What is Paul talking about? Why is he doing all this? Because God promised long ago that He was going to send a Savior. Because we needed a Savior. Everyone in this room needs a Savior because we're all sinners. Every sinner needs a Savior because you can't save yourself. At the first given opportunity, we went our own way. God's Word said go right, and we did go left. And we rebelled against our Creator, and that created a separation between man and God. That creates a separation. Your sin has created a separation between you and God. And there's no way you can get to Him. So He had to come to you. That's why this promise of the ages that Paul mentions here in verse 3, that promise of the ages was His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He came and lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. And the promise is that if you will believe that God has done this, that God has sent a Savior, if you'll simply believe it, if you'll trust in what He's done, then He will take your sin away and He will put upon you and put into your account by faith the perfect righteousness of Christ so that when you stand before God, He's not going to see your sin. That's been taken away. But he will see the perfection of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, by giving you his goodness, you'll be good enough to go to heaven. There's no way to be good enough to go to heaven on your own. But if you'll trust in what I just told you, not only will you be forgiven of your sins, not only will you have eternal life, the certainty that Paul's speaking about, but you'll have a relationship with God and your heart will change. And then what you know about God, your life will line up with that. And Paul says, it's been entrusted to me to proclaim this. It's been commanded to me to proclaim this. And then he says who the recipient of the letter is in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. What Paul's teaching about here is a common faith. We can all understand it. We can all live it together. We share a common faith. There's a uniqueness in my relationship with all my children, but we all share a common bond of what it means to be an Edgington and to live in our home. When Paul calls Titus his true child in a common faith, he's identifying Titus as one who's coming up after him, who's following in his footsteps. Paul saw beauty in Christ. Titus sees beauty in Christ. And you can see the beauty of Christ. What I just told you in the Gospel, you can have that today. And you can see the same thing Paul saw. You can see the same thing Titus saw. That Timothy saw. That any of the disciples saw. You can know that beauty of Christ. It's for everyone. There's not just some people who are super Christians or some people that are special. 
that are going to know more about God or have some other kind of religious experience. That's, it's just common. It's a common faith. You don't have to reach some level of enlightenment or walk across hot coals or I don't even know what people think. But it's common. Anyone can know the beauty of following Jesus Christ. You just go take your cross and you go after Him. And you will know what it means to follow Christ. And we can all relate to one another in that because we're all family. We share the same Father. You may look different than me. You may act different than me. But we have the same Father. We have the same Savior. And the question is, have you received grace and peace from our Father? What better day than on Father's Day to put your faith and trust in that Father who gives us grace and peace with God? I pray today you'll experience that grace and peace, that you won't stay in your sin, that you won't stay separated and an enemy of God. Today, if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can know this grace and peace. Because trusting in God is believing the gospel message of a God who never lies.